Welcome back to The Law. I am D.K. Williams, and this is episode 20. We're going to talk about Kelo versus the city of New London, Connecticut. This was decided in 2005, so just about 14 years ago. And this is another in a long line of horrendous decisions by the United States Supreme Court, this time declaring that eminent domain of private property for quote-unquote public use as required by the Fifth Amendment to the Constitution really means that governments can force you to sell your property for just about any reason at once. As always, the Law with D.K. Williams is brought to you by the Launchpad Media Network, always launching ideas in your direction. Find us at thelaunchpadmedia.com. And remember, follow me on Twitter at BlueCarp, Facebook.com slash Blue Carp. I'd love to hear from you. For real, y'all hit me up. The title of the case is Suzette Kilo. She is one of the plaintiffs. She's the one in the name versus City of New London, Connecticut. Again, like I said, it's a 2005 case and it was a 5-4 decision, so it was close. Unfortunately, the five ruled in favor of the government and against the individual. So who wrote what? So in the majority, Justice Stevens wrote it. Um, he was joined by Kennedy, Souter, Ginsburg, and Breyer. Kennedy also wrote separately in a concurring opinion, but he joined the main opinion. The dissent is awesome. There's two dissents, and they're both awesome. The main one is by Justice O'Connor. Rehnquist and Scalia and Thomas joined Justice O'Connor in the main dissent, and uh, Thomas filed a separate dissenting opinion as well, which has got some great language in it. This case opened the doors for how governments can use the concept of eminent domain, which is where they can make you sell your property. It's supposed to be for a public use. Now, in this particular case, it was criticized by both quote-unquote progressives and quote-unquote conservatives, I'm making air quotes here, but you can't see me, and some in those respective tribes, progressive and conservative, lauded it. So this is another example why left and right is meaningless. It's a distraction because in those two tribes, some people liked this case and some people didn't. The only meaningful distinction as illustrated by this case is not left and right, progressive or conservative. It is the state and you. In this case, rules in favor of the state and it's growing authority over you the individual, which is exactly what the Constitution was supposed to prevent. Now, the Supreme Court did this. They amended the Constitution. I mean, and the dissent point points this out. That's what they've done. So the Fifth Amendment, in pertinent part, and it lists some things that the government can't legitimately do. It finishes with one more thing the government cannot legitimately do. It says, nor shall private property be taken for public use without just compensation. So rephrase, private property shall not be taken for public use without getting paid for it. The Constitution should have just stopped there. This might be one of the worst remaining parts of the Constitution. Yeah, there was bad stuff in there in the beginning, but most of that has been edited out, amended out, or changed. It's also been amended for the worst as well, but this particular part from the original Constitution that still exists is bad. It should, in my opinion, have been more effective and it should have just said private property shall not be taken for public use, period. And just boom, that's it. You can't do it. So there's two parts of this. One, that property being taken has to be for a public use. And that's the, how we define public use is what this case is about. And you have to get paid just compensation for it. And that's a whole other issue. This case doesn't deal with the just compensation part. It just deals with the public use part. So who are the people in this case or who are the entities? Obviously, New London as a city in Connecticut. They had these wonderful centrally planned projects that they wanted to use, but they had to buy people's property. Many of them said, okay, here, they, they didn't have a problem with, but there were several that did not want to sell their property. Suzette Kilo was one of those people. She lived in Fort Trumbull area. That's where this was taking place, even though it's the city of New London doing it. So she had lived there since 97. She made extensive improvements to her house, and the court notes she prizes it for its water review. Uh, she didn't want to move. So Kilo, Suzette Kilo is the named plaintiff. She gets on there, so everybody says, but there are several other people, including other people that didn't want to sell their house. One of them was Wilhelmina Derry, 
I think that's how you pronounce it. It's spelled D-E-R-Y. I'm going to go with Derry. So she lived in a house on Walbach Street that has been in her family for over 100 years. She was born in the house in 1918. Her husband, Charles Derry, moved into the house when they got married in 1946. Their son lives next door with his family in the house he received as a wedding gift. He's also a party to this lawsuit. So property owners like Suzette Kilo, Wilhelmina Derry, were represented by, among other lawyers, the Institute for Justice. Now, if this or these public interest firms like the Institute of Justice, had not taken an interest in this case, these cases wouldn't have been heard. Most people can't get major law firms to take up their cases. They certainly don't have the money to pay for it themselves. So you can see that just the power of holding this eminent domain threat over people makes them more eager to sell, more likely to sell, because most people can't fight. And that's the point of the Constitution. So you don't have to fight government power. The government is supposed to say, are supposed to be constrained. But unfortunately, it is rarely constrained in this Supreme Court case, further unconstrained constrains it. The facts of the case from the syllabus. After approving an integrated development plan designed to revitalize its ailing economy. All right, stop right there. Here's your first problem. Central planning. And we're going to talk about this idea in some Hayek and the fatal conceit, but that's what they did. They designed a plan to revitalize its ailing economy. City of New London, through its development agent, purchased most of the property earmarked for the project from willing sellers, but initiated condemnation proceedings when petitioners like Kilo and Derry, the owners of the rest of the property, refused to sell. Petitioners brought this state court action claiming, among other things, that the taking of their properties would violate the public use restriction in the Fifth Amendment's takings clause. The trial court granted permanent restraining order prohibiting the taking of some of the properties, denying it as to others. It went up to the Connecticut Supreme Court where they affirmed in part and reversed in part, but they upheld all of the proposed taking. So Suzette Kilo, Wilhelmina Derry, and the others lost at the Connecticut Supreme Court. And then we get to the U.S. Supreme Court in this case, and they lose again. And as Justice O'Connor wrote in her dissent, basically lays out the issue, O'Connor wrote, to save their homes, petitioners sued New London and the NLDC, that stands for the New London Development Corporation, to whom New London had delegated eminent domain power. Petitioners maintain that the Fifth Amendment prohibits New London and the NLDC from condemning their properties for the sake of an economic development plan. These petitioners are not holdouts. They do not seek increased compensation, and none is opposed to new development in the area. Theirs is an objection in principle. They claim that the proposed use for their confiscated property is not public, therefore against the restriction in the Fifth Amendment. While the government may take their homes to build a road or a railroad or to eliminate a property use that harms the public, say petitioners, it cannot take their property for the private use of other owners simply because the new owners may make more productive use of the property. And O'Connor and the, all four justices in the dissent nailed this right here. They're absolutely right. Now, I think it's bad enough that the government can force you to sell for a railroad, but now they can force you to sell for a shopping center. So we know that Suzette and Wilhelmina and their families lost this case and their houses were destroyed. What happened after that? Did they get this development done? Did it actually revitalize the city of New London? No, it did not. And here is a good snippet from an article by Elia Soman in the Washington Post. This is how he sums up what happened. As for the city of New London, skeptics turned out to be right. The NLDC's flawed development plan fell through. One of the state Supreme Court justices who voted with the majority later apologized to Suzette Kilo, telling her he would have voted differently had he known what would happen. Quick aside, it's the fatal conceit. Government planners thinking they can successfully plan by force. Back to the article. Get this. Today, the condemned land still lies empty. Though city officials now plan to build a memorial park honoring the victim 
victims of imminent domain on the former site of Suzette Kilo's house. How sweet is that? In the meantime, feral cats have been using the property. So far, at least, they have been the main local beneficiaries of the takings. So after all this, they never got it done. After forcibly buying it from Kilo and others, and then they destroyed their houses, and then nothing happened. The arrogance is astounding. And none of this was necessary if the Supreme Court had just followed the plain language of the Constitution, like the four in the minority in the dissent said. They were vindicated. They were right. And not just because the practical application of this economic development plan failed, but because the Constitution should have prevented it if it had been applied properly. Some of the language from this case sounds like it came right out of a Soviet-era Politburo five-year plan. The Supreme Court and the government, in defending what it's trying to do, keeps using the phrase, a carefully considered development plan. Definitely sounds like a vestige from the Soviet Union. The court goes on about these carefully considered development plans over and over, and this is where we get into F.A. Hayek and his book, The Fatal Conceit, where he famously said, and correctly said, the curious task of economics is to demonstrate to men how little they really know about what they imagine they can design. If this case doesn't illustrate that accurately, nothing does. It's absolutely on on point. The city of New London, thousands of others across the U.S., love to imagine about all they can design and little old ladies and their trifling homes be damned. Government's got plans, baby. You got to move. Hayek, in this case, show how horrible that is and why the Fifth Amendment should be applied as written. The court many times refers to, quote, deference to legislative judgments. How about deference to the Constitution? It seems whenever a court discusses deference to the legislature or the government in general, it's never to the Constitution. It seems whenever the Supreme Court or any court discusses deference, it's never to the Constitution. It's to an expansion of government power. And that's the tragedy. So let's jump into what the five to four majority said. Justice Stevens wrote it. He lays out what's going on. He says, in 2000, the city of New London approved a development plan, in the words of the Supreme Court of Connecticut, that was projected to create in excess of 1,000 jobs to increase tax and other revenues, and to revitalize an economically distressed city, including its downtown and waterfront areas. In assembling the land needed for this project, the city's development agent has purchased property from willing sellers and proposes to use the power of eminent domain to acquire the remainder of the property from unwilling owners in exchange for just compensation. The question presented is whether the city's proposed disposition of this property qualifies as a public use within the meaning of the takings clause of the Fifth Amendment to the Constitution. Let's hear more about this glorious central planning Justice Stevens. He goes on explaining what the government wants to do here and their grand design, right? He says, conditions prompted state and local officials to target New London and particularly its Fort Trumbull area for economic revitalization. To this end, respondent New London Development Corp., a private nonprofit entity established some years earlier to assist the city in planning economic development, was reactivated. In January of 98, the state authorized a $5.35 million bond issue to support this planning activity and another $10 million toward the creation of a Fort Trumbull State Park. In February of the same year, 98, the pharmaceutical company Pfizer announced that it would build a $300 million research facility on a site immediately adjacent to Fort Trumbull. The local planners hoped that Pfizer would draw new business to the area, thereby serving as a catalyst to the area's rejuvenation. Glorious plans, right? Glorious plans, comrade. After receiving initial approval from the city council, the NDLC continued its planning activities and held a series of neighborhood meetings to educate the public about the process. In May of 98, the city council review authorized the NLDC 
to formally submit its plans to the relevant state agencies for review. Upon obtaining state-level approval, the NLDC finalized an integrated development plan focused on 90 acres of the Fort Trumbull area. What glorious plans. Too bad they suck at it, as Hayek explained. And too bad some old ladies had to be kicked out of their houses and their houses destroyed. Hey, in the name of progress, baby, some of you got to break some eggs, right? The majority goes on. The NLDC intended, again, all these plans, they intend all this. The NLDC intended the development plan to capitalize on the arrival of the Pfizer facility and the new commerce it was expected to attract, in addition to creating jobs, generating tax revenue, and helping to build momentum for the revitalization of downtown New London, the plan also was designed to make the city more attractive and to create leisure and recreational opportunities on the waterfront and in the park. Okay, well, all that's awesome if you want to do it with private money and without government guns forcing people to sell their land they don't want to sell, but the Supreme Court here says that's cool, and Trump loves this stuff too. Trump loves eminent domain, and he said so. Here's again from a different article by Ilya Soman talking about this case. He's written a book about it, so he knows what he's talking about. All right, from the article by Elias Holman. Trump defended the Kelo decision, stating that I happen to agree with it 100%. If you have a person living in an area that's not necessarily a good area and government wants to build a tremendous economic development where a lot of people are going to be put to work and create thousands upon thousands of jobs and beautification and lots of other things, I think it happens to be good. The feral cats who currently occupy the condemned land probably agree. Trump did not merely claim that the decision was legally correct. He argued that it was good to give government the power to forcibly displace homeowners and small businesses and transfer their property to influential developers on the theory that doing so might promote economic development. So who benefits from this government power? Rich developers like Trump and contractors and other people that have political connections and can get these contracts and can get the government to force people out of their home. This is exactly the point of the Fifth Amendment. that was supposed to stop that, not allow it. So back to the Supreme Court language, they said, the city council approved the plan and designated the NLDC as its development agent in charge of implementation. That sounds like something right out of George Orwell, right? Or Aldous Huxley. The court notes and admits, quote, there's no allegation that any of these properties is blighted or otherwise in poor condition. Rather, they were condemned only because they happened to be located in the development area. The Supreme Court notes several times that the city gave, quote, reasonable attention during the planning process to what they were doing. If that phrase doesn't strike fear in your heart, you are a brave person. So as long as the city gives reasonable attention to what they're trying to do, eh, we got to give them deference is in essence what the court says. And in reviewing this government action here, this development plan that was going to force people out of their homes, they discussed the level of correct scrutiny, the correct level of scrutiny to apply to government action. And there's tons written about this stuff. There's rational basis review, strict review, and I cannot stand the idea of different levels of scrutiny. I didn't, couldn't stand it when I was learning about it in law school. These levels of scrutiny that they're going to decide what to apply when deciding a constitutional issue. First, because in practice, they almost always result in approval of what the government is going to try to do. And second, they have no constitutional basis. They're completely made up by the courts. And the motives of the state should get zero consideration when it comes to rights protected by the Constitution. Does it matter to the victim, to Suzette Kilo, if her house was taken by the state before or after a government board gave it reasonable attention or not? There should be one question. Is using eminent domain for private development a public use or not? And of course it's not. That should end the analysis. We don't need to get into what level of scrutiny we're going to apply to a government process. There's no need for heightened scrutiny or reasonable basis scrutiny or any other status make-believe construct. All you have to do is read a simple sentence in the Fifth Amendment. The majority opinion goes on. They say, two polar propositions are perfectly clear. On the one hand, it has long been accepted that the sovereign, the government, may not take the property of A, 
for the sole purpose of transferring it to another private party B, even though A is paid just compensation. On the other hand, it is equally clear that a state may transfer property from one private party to another if future use by the public is the purpose of the taking. Quick aside, they change public use, as the Fifth Amendment states, to public purpose, and we'll talk more about that. Different meanings they amend the Constitution. Public use includes the condemnation of land for a railroad with common carrier duties. Neither of these propositions, however, determines the disposition of this case. As for the first proposition, the city would no doubt be forbidden from taking petitioner's land for the purpose of conferring a private benefit on a particular private party. A purely private taking could not withstand the scrutiny of the public use requirement. It would serve no legitimate purpose of government and would thus be void. Nor would the city be allowed to take property under the mere pretext of a public purpose when its actual purpose was to bestow a private benefit. The takings before us, however, would be executed pursuant to a carefully considered development plan. There we go. Carefully considered. Yeah, the government is is studying it and coming out with a five-year plan. Therefore, they should be allowed to do it, in essence. The court acknowledges that this is not a case in which the city is planning to open the condemned land, at least not in its entirety, to use by the general public. For example, it's not going to be a park or a school or a road. Nor will the private lessees of the land in any sense be required to operate like common carriers, making their services available to all comers. So they're not a train. They're going to have private businesses on here, offices, and the like. So hang with me here. The court goes on. But although such a projected use would be sufficient to satisfy the public use requirement, this court long ago rejected any literal requirement that condemned property be put into use for the general public. So they long ago rejected what the Fifth Amendment said. They go on. Indeed, while many state courts in the mid-19th century endorsed use by the public as the proper definition of public use, that narrow view steadily eroded over time. So it eroded over time. Did the language of the Constitution erode? No, it stayed the same. So what's changing? Government power and the willingness of the courts to give the government more power. The court goes on about the steady erosion. Not only was this use by the public test difficult to administer, what proportion of the public need have access to the property? At what price? But it proved to be impractical given the diverse and always evolving needs of society. All right, let's stop right there. The diverse and always evolving needs of society. That language makes me ill to my stomach. What about the constant and never-changing needs of people like Suzette Kilo to have a place to live? What about the constant and never-changing principles of individual rights of Suzette Kilo and the rest of us? What about the constant and never-changing principles as written in the Constitution? Screw all that. We have evolving needs of society. It's, it's nauseating. Somehow, the concept of the evolving needs of society always is used to empower the government to encroach on individual freedom. And as I like to say, you've heard me say it, government is not a tool of liberation, it is a tool of oppression, which is exactly what happens here with the Supreme Court in this Kelo case. The evolving needs of society, my ass. It's the accumulation of power by the government over the individual. That's what they just, should just go ahead and say. Okay, back to the court. And this is the part where they admit that they're amending the Constitution. Stevens writes, Accordingly, when this court, the U.S. Supreme Court, began applying the Fifth Amendment to the states at the close of the 19th century, it embraced the broader and more natural interpretation of public use as public purpose. I, I, there it is. There's the admission. The Supreme Court amended the Constitution to something it liked better. The Constitution says public use, but the Supreme Court says, no, we don't like that. So we're going to change the words on our own without bothering with the amendment process. So we're going to change public use to public purpose. And Thomas in his dissent nails them on this. 
but majority continues nevertheless, and the majority wins. The majority goes on. The disposition of this case, therefore, turns on the question whether the city's development plan serves a public purpose. Without exception, our cases have defined that concept broadly, reflecting our long-standing policy of deference to legislative judgments in this field. That's the problem. How about some deference to the property rights the Fifth Amendment is designed to protect? And how about not pretending the Constitution says public purpose when it says public use? The Constitution deserves some deference, right? Not just the legislature. And the Constitution certainly shouldn't be minimized in deference to the legislative judgments. That's the entire point of the Constitution, is to protect against legislative judgments, not give them carte blanche. And the next paragraph is enough to make anyone nauseous. It goes on, we do not sit to determine whether a particular housing project is or is not desirable. The concept of the public welfare is broad and inclusive. The values it represents are spiritual as well as physical, aesthetic as well as monetary. It is within the power of the legislature to determine that the community should be beautiful as well as healthy, spacious as well as clean, well-balanced as well as carefully patrolled. In the present case, the Congress and its authorized agencies have made determinations that take into account a wide variety of issues. It is not for us to reappraise them. If those who govern the District of Columbia decide that the nation's capital should be beautiful as well as sanitary, there is nothing in the Fifth Amendment that stands in the way. Lots of problems here. And the court in Kilo is quoting another case that they had done um, that involved the District of Columbia revitalization and, and central planning, right? So lots of problems here. They say that the concept of the public welfare is broad and inclusive. Notice again how they're distorting the language. It just changed from the Constitution. Public welfare is not the standard public use is the, is what the Constitution actually says. The sophistry they use is, is just clear. I mean, it's shameful. They have no shame in doing this. And Court talks about the government's desire to create something beautiful, healthy, and spacious, and balanced, as if the legislature has any damned ability to create a beautiful, and healthy, and spacious, and balanced community. It's the entire failed premise behind all central planning, and it's why the Fifth Amendment puts a limit on what the government can do in taking property from private people. Supreme Court doesn't care anymore. And they finished that paragraph thusly. If those who govern the District of Columbia decide that the nation's capital shall be beautiful as well as sanitary, there is nothing in the Fifth Amendment that stands in the way. That's exactly wrong. The Fifth Amendment exists to stand in that way. The court in Kilo goes on. As with other exercises in urban planning and development, the city is endeavoring to coordinate a variety of commercial, residential, and recreational uses of land with the hope that they will form a whole greater than the sum of its parts. How lovely, right? And how totally misguided. Their hope, is, first of all, their hope, the government's hope, is irrelevant to taking and destroying Ms. Keto's house under a proper reading of the Fifth Amendment. And second, the hopes of urban planning and development have been demonstrably shown to fail. And that's a policy statement, not a constitutional analysis statement. But we go back to what happened, actually happened after they destroyed these people's homes. They did nothing, and now feral cats live on it. The court specifically rejects the argument that economic development can never be a public use. They wrote, promoting economic development is a traditional and long-accepted function of government. A couple of things, right? That's the shine and polish they put on the government's ability to pay off politically connected donors, contractors, and union bosses. One of the reasons Trump loves eminent domain so much. And economic development is just newspeak for corporate welfare. The Fifth Amendment's public use requirement exists to stop things like corporate welfare, taking property from a private person, giving it to somebody else. All this behind, all this language about benefiting the public is nonsense because everything the government does is sold as benefiting the public. When does Congress ever say a piece of legislation isn't 
going to benefit the public. So since everything the government does is supposed to benefit the public, the Supreme Court has left no practical restriction on eminent domain and repealed that portion of the Fifth Amendment. They explicitly say this, the public end may as well or better be served through an agency of private enterprise than through a department of government, or so Congress might conclude. We cannot say that public ownership is the sole method of promoting the public purposes of community redevelopment projects. This statement allows for any forced sales that the state decides it wants. It is, it's truly frightening, and it completely ignores the language of the Fifth Amendment. The court goes on in Kelo, when the legislature's purpose is legitimate and its means are not irrational, this is that heightened bait, or that, that's what level of scrutiny are we going to look at? And they're basically saying that if the purpose is legitimate, whatever the hell that means, and its means are not irrational. So the only way the Supreme Court is going to say a takings is unconstitutional is if it's irrational. It's never going to happen. They will almost never say that, if ever. Court goes on. Our cases make clear that empirical debates over the wisdom of takings, no less than debates over the wisdom of other kinds of socioeconomic legislation, are not to be carried out in the courts. Again, in other words, legislation legislatures, local governments, local municipalities, they can do what they want and the Fifth Amendment is no longer meaningful. The court goes on explaining why it's come to this conclusion. They state, a constitutional rule that required postponement of the judicial approval of every condemnation until the likelihood of success of the plan had been assured would unquestionably impose a significant impediment to the successful consummation of many such plans. Exactly. That's the entire point. The Fifth Amendment is a significant impediment to the consummation of government power. And we wouldn't need to go through this court process every time because such central planning or economic development would be ruled unconstitutional as a matter of law. There's no need to discuss the relative merits of each fatal conceit. They're not allowed. End of analysis. And remember, states and local governments can implement stricter rules than the Supreme Court is doing here. And they should. They should preferably ban it. So keep that in mind. Just because the U.S. Supreme Court says the government can do whatever it wants regarding eminent domain, fight for your state-level courts or state-level legislature and local city councils or commissions or whatever. Fight for them to ban eminent domain or to actually give the Fifth Amendment some meaning. Restrict its use as much as possible if you can't ban it. So there is hope on the more local level. And state constitutions can be interpreted by state Supreme Courts more accurately than the U.S. Supreme Court has done here. So let me leave with some language from the four-person dissent written by Justice O'Connor because she gets it right. She says, Over two centuries ago, just after the Bill of Rights was ratified, Justice Chase wrote, An act of the legislature, for I cannot call it a law, contrary to the great first principles of the social compact, cannot be considered a rightful exercise of legislative authority. A few instances will suffice to explain what I mean. A law that takes property from A and gives it to B, it is against all reason and justice for people to entrust a legislature with such powers, and therefore it cannot be presumed that they have done it. Today, the court abandons this long-held basic limitation on government power. Under the banner of economic development, all private property is now vulnerable to being taken and transferred to another private owner, so long as it might be upgraded, given to an owner who will use it in a way that the legislature deems more beneficial to the public, to reason, as the court does, that the incidental public benefits resulting from the subsequent ordinary use of private property render economic development takings for public use is to wash out any distinction between private and public use of property, and thereby effectively to delete the words for public use from the takings clause of the Fifth Amendment. Accordingly, I respectfully dissent. 
as well she should have. There's nothing to prevent a future court from reestablishing the requirements of the Fifth Amendment regarding eminent domain, and they should. So you know what the U.S. Supreme Court has said about this. In a 5-4 to four decision, always theoretically possible that they could change it in the future. But now that you know this, you can use it to help fight for private property rights on your local level and your state level. Because there's nothing to prevent your state legislature from reestablishing legitimate restrictions on government power in this case, as intended. There's nothing to prevent your local city council or county commissioners or whatever from putting meaningful restrictions on the use of eminent domain. So push for that when it becomes an issue. Push for it anyway. I'm BK Williams, and this has been The Law, Episode 20, Kilo v. New London. We're brought to you by the Launchpad Media Network, always launching ideas in your direction. Find us at thelaunchpadmedia.com. Holler at me with your comments, Twitter at BlueCarp, Facebook.com slash BlueCarp. Government is not a tool of liberation. It is a tool of oppression. Fight for that liberation. Freedom may be dangerous, but we can live dangerously.